Greetings, listeners. Welcome to the Cold Fusion Now podcast, where we bring you the latest developments in the science, engineering, and business of Cold Fusion Leonard. I'm your host, Ruby Carrot. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Svein Olofsson, a research professor at the School of Engineering and Natural Sciences at University of Iceland, working with a form of Rydberg matter called ultra-dense hydrogen. Dr. Olofsson received his PhD from Uppsala University and began a career in hydrogen storage before starting his Lenner research. Forming ultra-dense hydrogen allows nuclei to get close enough to react and may help to understand the Lenner process in solids. Dr. Svein Olofsson, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thank you. Dr. Olofsson, you have given several talks about the work of Life, Dr. Leif Homled, who was researching Rydberg matter and found what he calls ultra-dense hydrogen. How did you first start looking at this work? It was basically after 2011 when uh, cold fusion was something in the news again. I think what was mainly with the help of of uh, Rossi at that time. So, so in, in the evenings I just started to read and, and uh, I th think I remember that I once Googled uh, just by chance dance hydrogen and uh, up came Leif Holmlid. And uh, I was very surprised what was he was publishing there. So. Uh, I too started to look into that, and, and what was so intriguing was uh, the short distance of, of between two protons that he claimed. So I started to contact him shortly after that, and uh, that is the start of any experimental work I did in this field. Now he was one of the only people doing this. Is that correct? Yeah, he has been. He's been the only, yeah, guy doing this, except with uh, some of his students initially. Mm -hmm. But uh, he retired a few years ago. So since then, he has been alone. And uh, I'd say that uh, when I started to contact him, then uh, we were maybe two in this to begin, and then. Uh, Sindre come later after that. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about uh, his work and give us a brief description of what ultra-dense hydrogen is and describe the setup that he uses to get hydrogen so close together? Yeah, he uses a very common technique, actually, which is time of flight uh, uh, spectroscopy or and sometimes time of light mass spectroscopy and uh, this is uh, very widely used in, in all kinds of chemistry experiments and, and uh, basically what is different what he's doing is that he has a, a different production unit of ions or, 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 or sample which he's studying so he was initially just interested in, in, in Rydberg states of atoms and, and uh, through his whole career he was just improving techniques to study that. 
Mm-hmm. And by chance, he noticed that uh, that the time of flight, in time in his experiments was too short, actually. So that started this uh, ultra-dense hydrogen. But before that, he had been studying uh, different uh, easy uh, metals like potassium, which is uh, easier to study and easy to produce rebuilt states. And uh, I think by chance he just uh, used the catalysts who could do similar things to hydrogen as to potassium. I mean, hydrogen has a very strange or high ionization energy compared to potassium and all these alkali metals. So mm-hmm. it's very strange that you can actually make a ripple state of, of hydrogen just by catalysis. He has a sample of, is it like a metal in the chamber and then hydrogen is added to the chamber as a gas? Well, he starts first with this catalyst and and this is actually a very common catalyst. It's actually uh, making all this plastic waste you find in the nature now. So it's a, it's one of the, the step of using uh, uh, yeah polyethylene plastics. So it's a oh it's a, hmm. So there are ten millions tons of this catalyst made every year just to make a plastic. Mm-hmm. But that is uh, then you put into into it you put some uh, styrene and you're changing some atoms on on, mm-hmm. uh, on that periphery of that uh, molecule. And how does the the Rydberg matter, which turns out to be ultra dense hydrogen, how does that form in above the catalyst? Well, catalyst is usually a very uh, hollow material or, or nanoporous. Mm-hmm. So you basically have a, a huge surface area in in the catalyst just to make production uh, much or production quantity much more better and so on. So basically you have a nanoporous surface and what is going on there is probably that the hydrogen is, is absorbed on that surface. And, and we've been discussing that this is just a special surface where you can uh, prime the hydrogen to have uh, the Rydberg state as the lowest energy due to the, the that the potassium ions, which are on the surface also. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a mixture of iron oxide or rust and, 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 and potassium. And, and it's mm-hmm. well known that when you dope oxide surfaces or metals with potassium, the free electron from the potassium is uh, a kind of a electron gas on top of the surface. Hmm. So this has never been uh, studied or, or calculated because it's very complicated to do it since the orbit of this Rydberg state is huge. Hmm. And it was make that the the uh, Rydberg atom is in the Rydberg state, which is as a circular orbit with high quantum numbers if it's an atom. Mm-hmm. And you cannot do that easily to uh, hydrogen, but on surface you could make a lot of 
joint cooperation between the surface and the hydrogen. Hmm. And these may join up on the surface and then give us the first states of this process, which is uh, just hyd normal hydrogen Rydberg matter. Hmm. This is then the feeding material for the, the alternate state. Now, this is forming from the catalyst. And, um, well, I did attempt to read the 27-page paper that uh, Dr. Holmlid and um, uh, Dr. Zeiner Gunderson have put out. And I understand that there's different types of clusters. You'll get long chains and you'll get small clusters. Do you know anything about how these different clusters of ultra-dense hydrogen will form? Not really, because uh, what is probably going on is that you have this feedstock, which is a normal hydrogen uh, Rydberg matter, and through some interaction or, or some excitation, it, 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 it is actually more thermodynamically stable to go into the other phase, but not so greatly. Mm -hmm. So that can form a... Uh, obviously some th thin layers on top of metals. And, and that has been seen in experiments that this uh, ultra-dense state, which has so many different forms, is, is creeping on surfaces and, 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 and actually can live for days, even if you went the chamber with air. Hmm. So some of these forms of ultra-dense hydrogen have been determined to create nuclear reactions. Can you talk about how this time of flight actually measures these distances where the nuclei are so close together? How, how can you determine that? Uh, actually, this time of flight measurement is measuring uh, the normal state initially, or the, just the normal hydrogen Rydberg matter. And uh, uh -huh. when Acer is hitting this, this material, he can actually see at uh, time of flight when, when, these, uh, when the laser, say, say, breaks up these clusters and, and the individual atoms, they travel apart because of the uh, both have positive charges. So this uh, time of flight is that short that the energy uh, or the closeness of these two entities was so close that they have to have been at least 2.3 picometers hmm. initially. That mm -hmm. is the other dense state. But also at the same time he can see that they were still close enough to be the, uh, to have normal chemical distances also. Hmm. So hmm. you can say, see both, both the, the, the normal state and the, the, the dense state uh, using the same instrument. What is just different is that uh, in one case you're having time of flight maybe a few microseconds and in the next time you have a few nanoseconds or hmm. that range. So you are measuring the time that it takes one of these particles that had been reacting to hit your detector. 
And then you're able to determine is the kinetic energy of that particle and then translate that to the energy of the Coulomb. Uh, yeah. And then you're able to then use that to find the distance. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, mm. it's, it's used in chemistry also, just normal chemistry to do this technique that you you hit with the laser and... and, and and they, these uh, chemical entities, they fly apart with this, usually just with a few, five uh, electron volts, and that's it. Mm -hmm. so, so what is different is like Levy seeing first uh, energy of six, 630 EVs, which is quite high. And, and no chemist will ever, or physicist will accept that you have such bounding distance or bounding energy in, in, in any, any molecule or any, mm -hmm. <laughs> any states, because uh, quantum physics says that that state is unbounded and not stable. And it's actually a fairly easy basic course in, in quantum chemistry or physics to, to prove that mm -hmm. between two protons. And uh, I totally agree but, on that viewpoint, but nobody knows what happens if you're trying to uh, do this for, say, 50 or 19 particles or so on. Mm. Because, because that theory is, is not so easy to solve. Or, or not so easy either to, to say that it's not possible. Mm -hmm. but, but most people, they use the simple way out and say, no, this is impossible and nonsense because they are using so simplified model. They're not using multi-particle physics. Mm. When the laser is shined into the sample region, what is the laser hitting? Is that hitting the nuclei or is it hitting around the nuclei what actually hits the detector well when you shoot on the sample of what is your what the laser is doing is that since it has wavelength of say one micron then it's actually just uh, letting the electrons of of zillions of of, of, of uh, protons and electrons to to oscillate Mm -hmm. So it's this, this, yeah, disrupting something there, mm. and out comes something flying. So it's basically over, and, and, and then you have excited something, and, and, and these millions of particles somehow react, and, and something flies out. Mm. Now you've measured different times and different kinetic energies, which tell you that there are different distances in this material. What is so special about the 2.3 picometers? And how often does that result pop up? Uh, yeah, it's it's always in that ball range. The uh, LEFAS report is something uh, a little bit less and also stayed with a little bit higher. And uh, he has uh, post given indication that the this material has different spin states. Uh, the only problem with that is that the, the theory describing it is 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 is, is taking out of, of 
I wouldn't say nowhere, but it, it's an empirical model. Mm-hmm. So it has, has no support from quantum calculations and so on. But it is describing his result, so so you can say that there's a there's a excited states which are are, are, are have a little bit longer distances and and so on. Mm-hmm. So, and since uh, Leib is the only man who has been doing this, I mean we are replicating some parts of his work, but so far we have not been studying this 2.3 picometers so much. We have only been studying the the ultra-fast breakup, hmm. when we have, have higher time of flight, which is actually not a bound state, it's something is flying out with much higher energy. Hmm. We'll be right back with Dr. Svein Olofsson to talk about how he has extended this work in ultra-dense hydrogen and what he does to make this exotic material. The 22nd International Conference on Condensed Matter Nuclear Science, ICCF 22, happens this September 8th through 13th, 2019, in Assisi, Italy. Registration is now open. For more information, go to the International Society of Condensed Matter Nuclear Science website at iscmns.org. The Leonard Forum is where Leonard Talk happens. For up-to-the-minute news and chat, go to leonard-forum.com. And we're back with Dr. Svein Olofsson, a Leonard scientist at the University of Iceland working in ultra-dense hydrogen. Now, Dr. Olofsson, let's talk about your research for a bit. What are you trying to achieve in extending uh, Dr. Holmlid's work here? Well, uh, at the moment, we are just trying to catch up with him because we have <laughs> put up labs and, and, and we are trying to uh, replicate some of his things because... Uh, According to him, we are the first uh, experimentalists who have contacted him and, and, and tried really to replicate things. Hmm. And, and uh, it's actually a nice story to tell that uh, I have applied for some money for the Icelandic Research Council here. And... Uh, the main argumentation, what uh, all these reviewers say, they say nothing has been published except him. And if this would be true, then it would possibly in, in every high-quoted uh, scientific uh, journals. So actually, it's a catch-22. Hmm. So apply money for it. They believe that uh, all these exclaims are so wonderful that somebody must have studied it. <laughs> but nobody does it. So, so it's it's not good to be in number two in in, in applying. <laughs> <laughs> 
Did you get the cash? <laughs> yeah. Good. <laughs> but I, but I managed to get uh, funding, but then it was not uh, uh, this research council. It was actually technological development fund. So, hmm. and, and they are less, uh, what you could say, they're less bound to 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 what science is and is not. Well, this could have important implications to Leonard. And of course, that's what we're interested in. We need to find a way to make clean energy. And the ultra-dense hydrogen seems to put nuclei very close together so that they could possibly react and we could get a technology. Do you think that ultra-dense hydrogen could be behind the cold fusion Lenner reaction? Yeah, that was my initial thought back then when I saw Lenner's article first. I just thought, this is so close that it must be cold fusion. And uh, and started to think in that manner. So... But this is so complicated behavior that, uh, and of course, uh, uh, getting uh, experiments in cold fusion and, and then in lives research to join up is, is of course difficult. They are so in, in different surroundings. So, so, so I contacted him and asked him if this was possibly behind cold fusion, and he was very skeptical and didn't. Want, didn't want to be linked to cold fusion name or anything. Hmm. But uh, I managed to make a simple calculation with this distance of 2.3 picometer and some simple assumption. And they gave me that the, the rate at distances is, is, could be enough. But uh, it uh, has one problem, and that is that the if you have this tunneling mechanism at this distance, like in muon catalyzed fusion, then you should still see the same result. You should get radioactive neutrons and protons. So that is not enough to mm. have a look on these two uh, particles trying to tunneling close to each other. Uh, that is not the right physics. Mm. Still, but but uh, Rydberg matter and ultra-dense physics has the opportunity to study multi-particle interaction. So, so in a sense, then it tells us that if there is a link, it's a multi-particle tunneling or interaction which could be making confusion signals. Mm-hmm. The the formation of this ultra-dense hydrogen. Would you say it happens on the surface of the sample, or is it above in free space? Because Lenner happens in a solid material. Do you think the ultra-dense hydrogen could occur inside a solid material? It's a tricky question, but I mean... 
I don't know any samples which is not without a crack or, or, or opening. Uh, you need, uh, usually, foil has cracks and so on. So, mm -hmm. so you don't know, actually. I, I think that uh, there's nothing denying that uh, Otterdens Heidegger is, is in all cold fusion experiments. Hmm. Well, Dr. Olofsson, uh, along with working with Dr. Liv Homlid in Sweden, you also have a graduate student, uh, Sinder Zeiner Gundersen from Norway. Uh, I guess, should I call him Dr. Zeiner Gundersen at this point? Hopefully next year. Okay, great. Um, talk about your role as a teacher And what has it been like collaborating with these multi-continent projects and get, having a student to work on Leonard with? What, what's the process like there? Well, Sindri is, is not quite a young student. He's in the 30s, so that makes the, the game easier because uh, sometimes I'm the student, sometimes he's the student. <laughs> nice. And uh, you could say that uh, since we are building lab in Norway and one lab in, in Iceland, then, which is a little bit different, then, then you could say that uh, he makes something in his lab and I catch up with that and, and, and I do the same <laughs> here and vice versa. And then we are traveling to each other labs And, and helping each other out. So, so it's been already three years, and and, and uh, PhD should be over in three years. So, but we we have problem of of wanting to see more and do more. So we are always joking when this fin he will finish his PhD. <laughs> Dr. Olofsson, why is this research important for you to do? It's a nice thing that uh, you have been in a different field, or uh, started in a different field, and and, uh, and uh, one day you kind of you get bored. You're just doing the everything over again, what you know and do. So the main reason for me to join this field was actually to to just first out of curiosity, see what could be done. And uh, differently, maybe, from uh, these palladium and uh, nickel experiments. And uh, I think along this way, from 2011 to 2019, uh, you, you read so different fields that you suddenly are becoming uh, not expert, You're, you <laughs> know something about everything in the end. So that is the most uh, enjoyable part of this <laughs> field. But also I have been uh, doing the same as I did a little bit also. So, so like I have the projects in, in CERN uh, with a large international group where we meet up for one year and do a very well-known technique, and, and, and there's no cold fusion in it, but uh, hmm. but it is nice. And then uh, there's another project here which I take part in, 
trying to find catalysts for ammonium production, a little part, and uh, so you got uh, every bit of everything. Hmm. When you talk about cold fusion with your other colleagues, how do they react? Well, at the moment, they are so used to it uh, seven years later, so they don't <laughs> say so. <laughs> so they just smile or, or, or yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I gave a talk uh, last week at the Icelandic Physical Society, what is going on the, in this field here. And, and, and uh, I, my closing words uh, were, was... Uh, if you're confused, don't be that. I'm not also confused as you. <laughs> so, well, did you find the that they were open-minded to your presentation? Yeah, well, I could say that they were not uh, anyway <laughs> closing on you, but uh, or, or, <laughs> blacklisting you hmm. because. Uh, I was just representing experimental facts mm -hmm. and and, uh, and and strange ones. So so, so I think uh, scientists are much more open until they have to read the applications, uh, and and then they got scared. <laughs> and if they have to judge it, <laughs> so so they're open to everything. Dr. Olofsson, will you be attending the uh, international conference happening this September in Assisi, Italy? Uh, we, we have to decide it a little bit later because uh, I was talking the, about this with Sindri today and we decided that the, we could report something different here than we did last time. But still, it's... Uh, in this uh, replication range that uh, we are replicating Leib's work still, not uh, reporting something new. But... Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we will decide it in, in the end of June, if one of us goes or, or, or both or so on. Well, thank you so much for your work. It's very exciting to discover this new material, and I'm so glad that you hooked up with Dr. Leif Homlid, and I, we wish you much success with your research. Thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you. We've been speaking with Dr. Svein Olofsson, a research professor from the University of Iceland working with ultra-dense hydrogen as a possible source of Lenner. And that's it for today. Remember, you can find more episodes of the Cold Fusion Now podcast on our website at coldfusionnow.org. And we need your sponsorship. Support our all-volunteer, self-funded effort to bring cold fusion to the public. Go to patreon.com slash coldfusionnow and be a patron. Until next time, I'm Ruby Carrot.